Our scripture passage for the prepared message is out of Isaiah 64, verses 1 through 9. I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. Oh, that you would burst from the heavens and come down. How the mountains would quake in your presence, as fire causes wood to burn and water to boil. Your coming would make the nations tremble. Then your enemies would learn the reason for your fame. And when you came down long ago, you did awesome things beyond our highest expectations. And oh, how the mountains quaked. For since the world began, no ear has heard and no eye has seen a God like you, who works for those who wait for him. You welcome those who cheerfully do good, who follow godly ways. But we are not godly. We are constant sinners, so your anger is heavy on us. How can people like us be saved? We are all infected and impure with sin. When we proudly display our righteous deeds, we find they're but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall. And our sins, like the wind, sweep us away. Yet no one calls on your name or pleads with you for mercy. Therefore, you have turned away from us and turned us over to our sins. And yet, Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all formed by your hand. Oh, don't be angry with us, Lord. Please don't remember our sins forever. Look at us, we pray, and see that we are all your people. Isaiah chapter 64, verses 1 through 9. Well, if 2020 has done anything, it's provided us for some, it's provided for us some funny memes. Now, memes are simply sayings that often get repeated or shared around the internet. They're typically related to whatever is going on culturally at the time. So, for example, I like the one that read, quote, before I agree to 2021, I need to see some terms and conditions. Or this one, I'm not buying a 2021 planner until I see a trailer. In other words, it'd be nice to have a preview of what's ahead or what to expect, much like a trailer in a, movie, in a movie. Now this is particularly true when everything that's happened before seems to have been so unpredictable. And until we have a good idea of what to expect, we don't want to get our hopes up. We don't want to get our expectations too high. This past year and the past eight months have left us probably all a little bit disoriented and unwilling to plan too far into the future or to even expect too much from the future. Consequently, we probably keep our expectations rather low. Now, truth be known, we probably all had high expectations coming out of 2019 and into 2020, and then everything came to this abrupt stop with the pandemic. Next thing you know, we're adapting worship. We're canceling events. We are rescheduling parties and reunions and weddings and trips that we had been saving up for are delayed or canceled. And we're all plunged into this exhausting unknown where each week we no longer know what to expect. So we choose not to expect anything. We end up keeping our expectations low. Now we keep our expectations low because in some ways it guards our hearts against any possible disappointment. I get that. But it also runs the risk of deadening our hearts to hope. We slowly drift into this sort of I really don't care mode, or it is what it is mode. And then we choose not to get our hopes up and have high expectations lest we get disappointed again and again and again. So we sort of bury all of our hopes. We sort of bury all of our expectations and all of our anticipation. And we just kind of live a very muted life. 
Now, the Israelites in Isaiah's day knew what it was like to live both with disillusionment as well as this reluctance to open their hearts to too much hope for the future. The first part of Isaiah, the whole book of Isaiah, chapters 1 through 39, describes how in time Israel is going to be taken into exile by Babylon, and their world is going to come crashing down into this collection of despair and disillusionment, and it eventually does happen. A hundred years or so later, this prophecy becomes this reality. Now, the second part of Isaiah, chapters 40 through chapters 66, is part of Israel's history after the exile. They have been released from slavery in Babylon, and they're allowed to return to Jerusalem, but this return is a painful return. The temple lays in ruins. Their neighbors, neighboring countries, aren't making it very easy to rebuild their life, to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the city. It's making the effort very difficult. And there's all these internal divisions within um, uh, the Israelites themselves. So the exile has changed their lives dramatically, and it has drained them literally of all hope and expectation for the future. It's as if they don't even know what to look forward to, and they don't even know if they want to look forward to anything. So Advent is a season that gives us something to look forward to. I would imagine some of you have kids that are uh, eagerly anticipating uh, Christmas morning already. Um, some of you are, are anticipating maybe some special moments or that, that special movie, but the, the expectation around Christmas gets heightened just a bit. And so Advent is a season that gives us something to look forward to beyond just all of that. It's a season that invites us to raise our expectations. It's a season that invites us to pay attention, to, to be awake, to, to have a sense of expectancy that something is about to happen and that something will happen. And something will happen because something did happen well over 2,000 years ago. God entered our world in human form and dwelled in our world with all of its temptations and trials and testings and challenges through the life and ministry of Jesus. And at Advent invites us to remember that this coming into the world by God invites us to hold high our expectation of God's coming into our world in the present. That God didn't cease coming into our world, that God has been coming into our world every day, every moment, uh, every hour, uh, every situation, every circumstance to dwell with us in everything that we go through and everything that we're about. And Advent raises the expectation and the awareness of that. In Isaiah 64, the Israelites pray for God to make himself known. Their expectations are high. Let me read a portion of that text again. Oh, that you would burst from the heavens and come down. How the mountains would quake in your presence. As fire causes wood to burn and water to boil, your coming would make the nations tremble. And then your enemies would learn the reason for your fame. And when you came down long ago, you did awesome things beyond our highest expectations. And oh, how the mountains quaked. For since the world began, no ear has heard and no eye has seen a God like you who works for those who wait for him. You welcome those who cheerfully do good, who follow godly ways. By the way, do you ever notice how it's always about God coming down to us? It's always God coming to us, coming to humanity, coming to our world. It's never about God waiting around for us to come to God. God is always coming to us. And in fact, 
Probably the reason why we turn to God, probably the reason why we go to God, probably the reason, reason why we come to God is God has come to us first and opened up within us longings and desires and yearnings and hungers that only God can meet. This is, this is the God of the scriptures. This is the God of that narrative. God always coming to us and always coming to humanity. Now, the Israelites remember a time in their history when God did great things through bringing them out of slavery in Egypt. They remember a time in their history when God came down to them and called Moses and made himself known in a burning bush. They remember a time when Moses came down from a mountain and God gave them the Ten Commandments to guide and shape their life as a community. They remember this time when God came down and did awesome things beyond highest expectations. And they hold out hope that God will do it again. And as Isaiah 64 verse 1 reads, Oh, that you would burst from the heavens and come down. It's as if they are wanting God to shake up their world a bit, to shake up their life a bit, to shake off the disappointment and disillusionment that has been defining their lives and to do a work in their world that goes beyond their highest expectations. In other words, they no longer want life to be defined by their disappointment, but to be defined by their memory of how God has been present in their lives and their hope that God will be present in their future beyond their highest expectations. It's really reminiscent of Paul's words in the New Testament in his letter to the Ephesians when he wrote, quote, Now glory be to God by his mighty power at work within us. He is able to accomplish infinitely, infinitely more than we could ever dare to ask or hope or imagine. This is living with high expectation of God's power and God's presence. And maybe Advent can allow us the space to reflect and ask ourselves this question. How much of my life has been formed, shaped, and defined by disappointment? And how much of my life is formed, shaped, and defined by the hope in God's transforming power and grace? You see, it's easy, I think, to fall into the trap of allowing disappointment to define our lives and expectations. Now, to be sure, there's times when disappointment is real, and there's times when disappointment is hard, and we need to feel what we feel. But then do we allow it to become a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy? In other words, we just begin to accept disappointment as the way things will work out for us in life, and that's how life goes. And so all we end up expecting is, is disappointment. And we don't hope for anything else. And we don't long for anything else. And we end up accepting things as they are rather than hoping for change and what things could be. And we find ourselves in places of disappointment where we just choose maybe to stay there or feel like there's no hope of ever getting out of it or any hope of growing through it. We find ourselves in a, in, a in a disappointing job, but we decide that this is as good as it gets rather than being open to something different. Maybe we find ourselves disappointed in our marriage, but we simply maintain the status quo rather than addressing the changes that need to be addressed and being open to change. Maybe a relationship or friendship begins to disappoint us and rather than work on the relationship or just simply move into a new chapter in our life and move on, we hold resentment against the person and maybe we blame them for what we perceive as the failure of the relationship. Maybe life in general feels disappointing, but we end up staying stuck in that disappointment which leads often to cynicism, and we end up creating our own misery. 
And maybe we end up disappointing ourselves based on what we perceive to be one failure after another in our own life, that we have failed, that we have let people down, that we have let ourselves down, and maybe we feel like we have let God down. And we end up feeling like nothing but a huge disappointment. And when disappointment takes root, it tells us to no longer have hope, to no longer expect anything from life or anyone, and to no longer expect that life can be different, that we can be different, that we and our world can be changed and transformed. We just simply give up that hope. But we can always choose what will form and shape our hearts, our souls, and our outlook, and basically the story and narrative of our lives. We can choose that. As our scripture text reads in verse 8, quote, And yet, Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all formed by your hand. God seeks to form us in the way of hope as a potter takes just this pound of clay and forms and shapes it. We seek to be formed in the way of hope that God would form and shape that in us, that we allow God to form and shape our lives and our expectations and our faith and our trust. God seeks to form us so that our outlook is filled with the expectation that God will act not only in our lives but also in our world. That God seeks to form this story and narrative of our lives so that we don't look at disappointment as always having a final word. And rather, disappointment becomes one of those hard moments. Yes, those hard moments in life, but that it can either make us bitter or it can make us better, that we feel our grief and our pain, but then we open ourselves to the transformative work of God's grace and God's mercy. And God seeks to form us in such a way that our own personal disappointments, our own personal failures, and our own personal mistakes, and we have them. I have them, and I'm sure that you have them too, but we often let them define us, and we often label ourselves as just nothing but one big disappointment to everybody. But God would rather form and shape us in such a way that we are ultimately defined by God's love, by God's forgiveness, and God's care, and God's mercy, and God's delight in our life that that is what defines us most of all, that we are formed and shaped by that. And yet, Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all formed by your hand. Advent is a season and a period of expectation. Our expectations of the Christmas season are going to be different this year due to the pandemic and how folks are gathered, and that's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. It's, it's hard for our family. We may have to change our expectations in that way. But we can keep our expectations high, that the Spirit of Christ will be present and will enter our hearts and souls that are open and receptive. We can keep our expectations high, that as we keep our hearts and souls open to the coming Spirit of Christ, we will discover joy and peace and a renewed outlook for the future. We can keep our expectations high, that as we remain awake to the message of God, coming into our world, we will become aware of God's presence around us and showing up in ways that will offer our hearts encouragement, strength, and courage for the future. In other words, if we expect God to be present, more than likely we will see God as present and we will notice God around us in even the most simplest of things. Now, I'm a Cincinnati Reds baseball fan, so trust me, I know what it looks and feels like to keep one's expectations perpetually low. But you know, when we do that in all the areas of our life, especially the areas that matter, 
we get stuck in disappointment and disillusionment. And hope becomes this faint, faint, distant memory. So let's pray with Isaiah these words. Oh, that you would burst from the heavens and come down. And in that coming down, the Spirit of Christ might enter our hearts and souls this Christmas and gift us with a renewed hope for the future, with a renewed imagination for the future, with renewed energy for the future, with renewed expectation, with renewed vision, with renewed courage and strength for the future. And as the wonderful Advent hymn reads, O come, thou dayspring, come and cheer. Our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. What if we change that last sentence to our name? Emmanuel means God with us. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Scott. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O and put your name right in that place. Because that is what Advent is all about. We can have joy. We can rejoice. Because God with us is coming to each of us, you and I, in our most deepest places of disappointment and disillusionment and giving us a renewed hope for the future.